All right, we're going to look at this passage in Acts that Marilyn read for us now, Acts 12, 25 to uh, 13, 5. And I'd like to start with a question. And as we've done before, in a minute, I want to invite you to join a, a small breakout group of three or four to discuss it. I'm going to read this morning's passage again, and I'd like you to think about what seems different or unfamiliar in this passage compared to your own experience of Christianity. There's no right answer here. It's just your opinion, your experience. So let me read the passage and think about what strikes you as different from the Christianity you know and have experienced. And then we'll break into groups and you'll get an invitation to enter a virtual breakout room. As always, if you'd really rather not, you can decline the invitation and just stay in the main service and we'll wait for six or seven minutes while those in the breakout room discuss it. So here's the passage starting in Acts 12, 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Okay, so what strikes you as different or unfamiliar compared to your own experience of Christianity today? Let's open the breakout rooms and take a few minutes to discuss that. So we'll come back to that, that question in, um, in a little bit. But first, I want to tell you a story about when I was in my 20s, I was serving as a missionary in Budapest in Hungary. And I was recruited to be the administrator of um, a small international Bible school in that city. One of the tasks I took on there at the school was to lead our small staff of four through a strategic planning process. The school didn't have a clear mission. And I told them that if, if we wanted to know what we were supposed to be doing and if we were on the right track and how we could improve, then we needed to be clear about what our mission is, what it was that we were trying to accomplish. And everyone agreed. So we began hammering that out as a team. And it was hard work. And I remember at one point, the academic director of the school, who was a young, brilliant guy with a, a degree from Oxford, he said to me, you know, instead of trying to figure out what our mission should be, and then changing what we're doing to line with our mission, wouldn't it be a lot easier if we just looked at what we were already doing and summarized that and that could be our mission, and then we won't have to change anything. And he was half joking, but he was putting his finger on something that is actually very common, where we, we look at a, a possibility, a vision, an um, aspiration, and we just reinterpret it and we redefine it in terms of our current experience. For example, I've seen churches do this over and over. Take making disciples. We're supposed to make disciples, right? The Great Commission, the last thing that Jesus told his followers to, 
to do was not make sure that you hold a worship service every Sunday, but rather go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Christians are supposed to go and make disciples. Churches are supposed to prioritize disciple making. And we hear that and we agree, of course, isn't that what we're doing? We're Christians, we're a church, so that's what we're doing. We're making disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? Well, it must mean to do what we're doing, to hold worship services, to preach God's word, to offer Sunday school classes. That must be what it means to make disciples because our mission is to make disciples. Can you see how that kind of thinking is backwards? Instead of trying to figure out, in this case, what Jesus meant by making disciples and how Jesus wanted us to go about doing it, instead we are tempted to redefine our mission in terms of what we're already doing so that we can say that we fulfilled it. It's a very common move, and that's why I asked you to discuss the question I did when we began this morning. What do you notice about this passage in Acts that's different or unfamiliar from your own experience of Christianity? We've got to let the differences in God's word, in the vision, in the mission that God's word gives us, strike us if we're actually going to hear God's word and let it speak to us and impact us. Otherwise, we're just going to redefine God's word in terms of our own experience and say, yeah, we're like that too. We're good. Does that make sense? Because when I look at this passage this morning, I'm struck that the Christianity described here, the picture of church described here, is radically different from most of what we see in America today. It's a different Christianity. Let me explain. To start, uh, let me summarize the vibrant, powerful, compelling picture of Christianity we see here in this passage as the book of Acts describes it for us, this community of of Jesus followers in the city of Antioch. And and let me describe it and summarize it in terms of uh, the vision that our own church has as we're aspiring and seeking to grow uh, into this vision during this time when everyone is social distancing. So remember, that's our vision, picking up the E the S and the D from everyone in social distancing. The E is in our vision is for each of us as a missionary. And the S is for support one another like family. And the D is for dig deeper with God. I'm not ready for the slides yet. Thanks. Um, That's exactly what we see the disciples of Jesus in Antioch doing. Let's take a look. First, each of them was a missionary. Not just the original 12 apostles who had known Jesus and had been commissioned by Jesus to lead his church. In fact, there isn't a single one of the 12 anywhere in this story in Acts that we're reading today. Because the mission, the purpose of God's people, was never just for the apostles or for a select few ordained ministers. It's for all of God's people. Each of us is a missionary. And so who do we see engaged in this mission and in the leadership of this group of disciples? Well, we see a Barnabas, we see a Saul, we see a John Mark, we see a Lucius, a Simeon, a Menaean. We also see, if you go back, if you flip back to Acts 11, 19 and following, 
this group of Jesus followers got started in Antioch. Um, and uh, it was some unnamed disciples of Jesus from Cyrene and Cilicia who were on the run from Jerusalem, who were dislocated, who were basically refugees who came to Antioch. And rather than being sorry for themselves and being in survival mode, instead they're infectiously excited about what God has done in the world through someone named Jesus. And they're telling anyone who will listen in Antioch. And that's how this community has begun because of unnamed followers of Jesus who each saw themselves as a missionary. And so now, as we hear about the leaders of this community in Antioch, a year or more later, there's nobody here who was part of the original 12 official leaders that Jesus had appointed. It's new folks. It's everyday folks, because each of us is a missionary. And this story in today's passage is the story of how God directs these disciples to send two of their number out on another mission to spread the message about Jesus further to new places. This is a mission story in the book of Acts. And the actors in the story are everyday people. Because in the Christianity of the Bible, each of us is a missionary. Not just the pastor, not just the big name people, but all of us. And if that feels overwhelming, like we don't know how to go about doing that, then we've got growing to do. We need to set our minds on growing to get trained up. Second, in, in Antioch, we see the Christian community there supporting one another like family. Just like we saw earlier in the book of Acts when we were studying Acts back in the winter, we saw again and again in the Jerusalem church where all of this kicked off, we saw everyone shared what they had with each other. And in fact, at the beginning of our passage for today, we read that Barnabas and Saul are just returning from the Jerusalem church. Does anyone remember what they had gone there to do? Well, if you go back to the end of chapter 11, they were responding to a prophecy that had told how a famine was going to hit the whole region. And uh, it was going to lead to food shortages and economic hard times. And so the disciples in Antioch Rather than being concerned about themselves, they took up a collection of funds and they sent it to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Saul to the disciples there because they knew that those in Jerusalem would be hit harder than them as a result of this famine. Why did they do this? Because that's, or, or rather, it's because those disciples saw their fellow disciples in Jerusalem as family. And so they were treating their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem like family. They were sharing with them. They were helping them. Notice also uh, who Saul and Barnabas bring back with them from Jerusalem. They bring back a young man named John Mark. Evidently, he was a promising young leader. And, and they bring him along to mentor him and to train him. They act like spiritual fathers and uncles to this young man. Why? Well, again, because they're all a spiritual family. And so when it's time for Saul and Barnabas to go off again on a mission, this time John Mark goes along with them. What does the whole community do? Well, they gather around these missionaries and they fast for them and they, they, they pray for them and they lay hands on them, signifying connection and solidarity. And they send them off with their support and with their blessing. They're acting like family. 
Okay, and then third in Antioch, we see the, the community of disciples there digging deeper with God. And their leaders are leading by example here. We don't hear about their leaders having board meetings, although they may have done that. But what does Acts tell us that these teachers and prophets in Antioch are doing? They're fasting and they're worshiping. At least worshiping is how some translations put it. But don't picture them sitting in a song, sing, uh, sitting in a circle singing songs necessarily. This word translated worship here, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It's a more general word than that. It could also be translated giving service to God. And it's not clear what it means specifically. It's a general word, but it's some sort of activity that's God-focused, that's God-directed. This group of leaders are focusing on God in some way, and they're fasting as they're doing it. They're not eating food so they can focus all of their attention on God, so much so that they hear God speak, don't they? The Holy Spirit says to them, set aside two of your number, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the task I have for them. And what do the leaders do in response? Well, more digging deeper with God, more fasting and praying as they obediently commission these two for a new mission. So notice the passionate, devoted spirituality. They know God is real. They know God personally, and they're digging, they're pursuing. They know that life is full of distractions, and so it takes focus, it takes intention to stay close to God. And this prophecy about Saul and Barnabas doesn't come while they're working hard, doing whatever they did to make a living, and it doesn't come while they're watching the big game at the Colosseum. No, it comes when they're digging deeper with God. And actually, we see this again and again in the book of Acts. It's a pattern. If you can remember back to the story of Peter and Cornelius, they each got a vision from God. Angels showed up and spoke to them. And when did that happen? It happened when they were praying. It's when they clear the distractions and focus on God that they can hear what God has to say. God's like, okay, now that I have your attention, here's what I want to say to you. So digging deeper with God, that's what we see these disciples doing. Again, just to summarize this vibrant, dynamic picture that we have here in this community of disciples in Antioch, let, let me share it now via a diagram, if we could put the first slide up. Each of them is a missionary. Not just a select group of ordained clergy, but all of them. And they're supporting one another like family because they view themselves as family. And they're digging deeper with God and experiencing God with them, directing their course. And as I stand back from that picture, here's what, what strikes me. It's a different Christianity from the sort of Christianity that I often see in America today. And let's not fall into the trap of saying, well, we're like that too. We must be because we're Christians too, like they are. Because here's what I find that Christianity looks like often in America. And, and this is the broader environment that our church exists in. So let's map this out on the same diagram if we can go to the next slide. First, starting now with digging deeper with God, here's what most churches do in terms of their relationship with God. They hire a pastor. They hire an expert, a, a spiritual person, to seek God for them. They hire a pastor to get to know God's word and to probe and dig into the Bible for them. 
And then they show up two or three times a month to see what the pastor came up with. Hopefully he's met with God and he can download what he's gained for them. As for their own relationship with God, well, often they're content with uh, five minutes a day, reading through a daily bread devotional or, or going on their Bible app and reading the verses for the day and saying a quick, quick prayer and then getting on with their day. And that is different. That is not the same thing as we're reading about in the book of Acts or anywhere in the New Testament for that matter. And that's why at CBC, our vision is to do what we see those in Antioch doing. It's to dig deeper with God. Not to hope the pastor does it for us, but to do it ourselves. To seek God for ourselves. To get to know God for ourselves. Then second, going to the next slide. Moving on to supporting one another like family. What most churches do is help the pastor develop programs. I hope you can see that. It says develop programs. We realize that church is supposed to be more than a worship service, at least for the really committed. We, we realize that, that you can't get to know anyone just by looking at the back of their heads in a worship service. That's why being on Zoom has been, um, in some ways, such a blessing for some of you, right? You, you get to see people's faces. We get to interact. We, we get to know one another. But how do we build on that? Well, the typical way in most churches is, is to develop programs. What do programs do? Well, they give people a weekly spiritual dollop of something they're interested in, along with a chance to get to know some other people who are interested in it, as, as together they learn something practical or they have an emotional need that, that they have met for one another or with one another. But, but here's why programs rarely lead to spiritual family. And that is because programs are a time slot. They're an hour or two in your week, very often cut off and disconnected from the rest of your life. And so you, you carve out a slot in your busy schedule. You pull yourself together from the stresses of work or maybe raising kids or whatever. And, and you manage to put your church smile on and you show up at church and you do your spiritual thing. And then when it's over, you go back to your real life and others go back to theirs. And that's not family. That's not family. Even small groups, as great as they are, if they're just a time slot in your schedule, they're not family. Imagine family working that way. Imagine I'm doing my thing, you're doing yours, and, and we'll meet for an hour and a half on Wednesday nights, and we'll go through a study guide together, and we'll share prayer requests. And then till next week, we're all back on our own. Now, I'm not saying that small groups aren't good or, or programs. I'm just saying they're not a substitute for family. So let's not just take what we're already doing and call it spiritual family if it isn't. Because family involves eating together. Family involves playing together. It involves working together, helping each other out. It involves bickering with each other sometimes. Family is messy, it's relationships, and it's organic week by week. And that's what we see happening in the New Testament. They're a spiritual family. And then third, if we can have the last slide. Each of us is a missionary, and most churches know that we're supposed to be involved in a bigger mission. But um, 
they, so they know that, that we're supposed to have a hand in getting the message and love of Jesus out to the world. So what do most churches do rather than viewing each of them as a missionary? Well, they give money to missions. They find a few brave souls who are willing to go out and, and to do what we're not willing to do. And we give them a portion of what they need to support their efforts to be able to do it. And they say there, we're committed to missions. Can you see that all of this, if this is as far as it goes, it's just sort of Christianity by proxy. Pay someone else to get to know God for us. Pay someone else to do missions for us. And if we're really committed, devote a couple extra hours a week to a program which nicely fits into our schedule, but which is cut off from the rest of our lives. Now, I realize I'm being critical here, and not all American Christianity is like this, and we're striving not to be like this as a church, but I don't think it's that far off the mark. And it's the religious environment that we're all living in and that many of us have been raised in. And so we have to be clear when we turn to God's word, that God's word is reminding us that what we're used to is a different Christianity from the one God's word is presenting us with. It's not the Christianity that we're reading about and that's offered to us in the Bible. So why the difference? You can take the slides down now. Why is the Christianity that, that we know and see in our country around us, why is it so different from what we read about in our passage today and in the New Testament? Well, I think it's because we as Christians have been telling ourselves and living out of a different story than the one that the New Testament disciples were telling and living. And in the time that we have left, let me explain what I mean by that. I've used the word meta-narrative before. It's the big story. It's the overarching meta-story which gives meaning and purpose and identity to our lives. And it shapes how we view the world, how we view ourselves, how we view life itself. And what's the prevailing story that most Christians in America are telling today? Well, to be honest, we don't have much of one. All of us have our individual stories. We have our personal testimony. I have my story. You have yours. We were trying to carve out for ourselves a life that's secure and comfortable for us and our families. We were trying to find happiness. And somewhere along the way, maybe we were young, maybe we were older, but we realized that there was a spiritual component to that. We learned that there's a God who made us, that we've sinned against that God and that we will face punishment for this sin if we don't repent and accept the forgiveness that God lovingly offers us through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And so we accepted that forgiveness. We put our trust in Jesus so we could be sure that we'll go to heaven when we die instead of to hell. And in the meantime, God now fills a hole in our hearts that nothing else could fill. Do you notice this story, as wonderful as it is, and as true it as it is, it's all about me and you, about my salvation, my destiny, my happiness. It's a small story. It's an individualistic story. It's not much bigger than our lives and our concerns and our personal salvation. Don't get me wrong. It's an awesome story. But if this is all that we've got, then we don't have a big story. And so either we get on with our individualistic lives and keep living for ourselves with a little Jesus thrown in, 
or we fall prey to a bigger story that someone else is offering us. And right now, the main story on offer, the main meta narrative on offer, is a political story. You know, I'm very concerned right now in our country that the people in our churches are not being discipled by Jesus, but rather they're being discipled by Fox News or by the New York Times, by Donald Trump or by Nancy Pelosi. Because those are the ones giving us a story that's bigger than ourselves to be part of. It's either the story that America is being taken over by Marxists and progressives and liberal elites, and we should all be afraid of that, and we should do all we can politically to help Donald Trump defeat them. Guess what? That's not the Christian story. Neither is the counter story that the progressives tell that that we're in a titanic struggle for justice and equality and inclusivity and that winning political battles is the only way to a better world. That's not the Christian story either. But if we have no story, then it's easy to let one of these stories grab hold of us. And that's what's happening in the church. And so right along with the rest of the world, Christians are fighting and hating and worrying about wearing masks or not wearing masks and about conspiracies and about who's lying to who. Do do some of these things matter? Well, they absolutely do. And there's a certain amount of truth and goodness, I think, on my opinion, on both sides politically, at least on what they claim and aspire to. But let's step back and ask, is either story that we may be caught up in, in the name of God, is it even the same Christianity that Jesus came to bring? And to answer that question, we've got to rediscover the Christian story, the biblical story. This is the story that the church in Antioch was caught up in. It was shaping them. It was making them who they were. It's the story that the book of Acts tells. It's a story which begins with God, not with us. It's a story that God saw what's wrong with this world and that God loves the world that he created. And so God wants to come down and fix it and to fix what's broken in us so that we can be part of the solution in this world and not part of the problem. Because God knows we can't fix things on our own as human beings. God knows it takes his presence and his power and his wisdom And so God has done what it takes for God to be able to dwell among us again. And what did it take? Well, it took God coming down, getting his hands dirty. And God becoming a victim himself of all that's gone wrong with the world that he made. Not sitting in a holy, elevated spot and condemning what's wrong with the world, but coming down and getting his hands dirty, feeling the pain absorbing the pain of this world, literally letting it kill him. Why? Because of love. Because God loved the world. And because this is what real love does. It sacrifices for the sake of those you love. And so God did that in Jesus Christ. God so loved the world. And then God came after Jesus had died and rose again 
by the Holy Spirit, God became present among us, his people, those who follow Jesus, to change us, to transform us, to guide and empower us so that we can love like God loves for the sake of this world, so that we can love sacrificially, so we can work for the good of the world without malice, without hatred, without fear, but with forgiveness, graciousness, and love. And then God said to us, tell everyone else about me and what I've done so that they can join you and so that they can join me together in redeeming this world. Tell those in Jerusalem where all this began. Tell those in Judea and Samaria, the surrounding nations, and then tell the whole world. And then disciple them. Teach them, show them how to live a life of love and loving sacrifice, a life like Jesus lived too. Disciple them to dig deeper with me. Disciple them to be more, a more supportive family together. And disciple each of them to be a missionary to bring my blessing and my love to the world. That's the story that the disciples in Antioch are caught up in. That's what they're living out. It's what defines them. And so, as we see the spiritual family seeking God and digging deeper into God together, it's no surprise that God says to these folks in Antioch, let a couple of your best leaders go. Let them go. Because it's not about holding on to what you've got so you can be safe and cozy where you are. It's about a much bigger story than you. So send Barnabas, send Saul out to spread my love, to spread the story of what I'm doing in the world so others can join my movement and my family as well. And this moment that we're reading about this morning in Acts 12 kicks off the third and final section of the book of Acts. If you remember the story of Acts, they were first to be witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria. And now with Luke 12, we reach the third and final section of the book where they are to take the story from the, 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 the story, the gospel story from the church in Antioch, this message about Jesus, and they're to take it to the ends of the earth. And that's what the rest of the book of Acts will be about. So theirs is a different Christianity from what we often see around us. But may it be our Christianity. May it be who we are and who we're becoming together. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us a story. You know, as humans, we long for meaning. We long for purpose. We long for belonging. And you provide all of this in your story, the gospel story, the biblical story. I pray that it would sink so deeply into us that we would grow more and more in digging deeper with you and in supporting one another like a family and in each of us being a missionary to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.